Hey there, it's Hillary. And if you're new to the show, I just want to take a moment to say welcome. And I want to give you some tips on what episodes to listen to to get you started. If you heard me tell my story on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, I want you to check out my interview with Terry. She talks in this really intimate way about why she didn't have kids. And there's this little moment in the interview that our staff has nicknamed Terry Gross's Nightmare. I love this moment so much. I love the whole interview. Just listen. It's episode 79. We also have an entire series on discrimination against working moms called It's a Real Mother. So if you liked my New York Times op-ed about misogyny against mothers, you're gonna want to hear this series. That starts at episode 144. And we've got an episode with comedian W. Kamau Bell talking to his mom about her sex life as a single mom. That's episode 88. You can find our full Longest Shortest Time starter kit at longestshortesttime.com. Okay, now on to the show with Andrea Salenzi, who became the host of The Longest Shortest Time a year ago. Hey, Hillary. Hey, Andrea. How are you? Andrea, there's something I've been wanting to tell you about that, that happened a while back, but I just kind of thought you'd get a kick out of it. I love your stories. It's Go like, on. it's funny, not funny. Okay. Yeah. So a while back, um, my daughter wanted to play school with me. Cute, right? That's great. So she wanted to be the teacher, and I was the student. And she's like, okay, uh, it's math class. And she goes, Arthur had five teachers. Two of them died. How many teachers does Arthur have left? That's the word problem? Masha. (laughs) Exactly. That's basically what I said to her. And she looks at me and she goes, do the math. (laughs) This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and we have a special show for you today. It's our first one of a new season, and I'm here with the creator of our show, Hilary Frank. And today, we're going to hear more about her daughter Sasha's death obsession and how Hilary solved it in a pretty weird way. I'm going to call it weird. Yes, you can, that's fair. You actually have a name for this. Yeah, I call it a weird parenting win, which just coincidentally happens to also be the name of my new book, Weird Parenting Wins. Available now. That's right. <laughs> now, what's a win? So a win is the opposite of a fail. Good. Need more. <laughs> right. But, you know, like you see the hashtag parenting fail, right? Like people are almost braggy about this when they feel like they did something wrong with their kids. But but I feel like why brag about that? Like the wins are actually like more few and far between. Let's brag about those. Okay, give me an example. So like to get your kid to eat vegetables, putting peas in a Pez dispenser. (laughs) (laughs) That's so smart. So now that everyone knows what a weird parenting win is, let's start with an excerpt from an essay you wrote in Chapter 8 of your book. This is the chapter called The Art of Making the Scary-Ass World Less Scary. And in it, we're going to hear the solution you and Sasha came up with for her death obsession. We are. All right, here we go. When Sasha was four years old, she learned the story of Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, she'd heard it before in school and from me and her dad— 
But this time, the teacher read a book that went all the way through to the end. That night, Sasha was screaming uncontrollably, and I couldn't figure out why. Finally, after wrapping my arms around her to try and help her control her fit, she shouted, You lied about Martin Luther King. What do you mean, I asked. You just said he died, she said accusingly. He didn't just die. He was shot with a gun. Oh, I said, you're right. It's very, very upsetting, but that's true. She continued her tirade through tears. He was the best person in the world. He had the best ideas, and they killed him. Sasha hasn't ever personally known anyone who's died, but after hearing the MLK story, she got it in her head that if someone like him could be shot dead, so could I. So could her dad. So could she. No amount of consoling would help. She screamed at the top of her lungs several nights in a row. I went to the teacher and asked if she'd consider revisiting the story and help the children process their new knowledge about the assassination of one of our country's greatest heroes. Maybe assure them that they were safe. Maybe acknowledge that it was a scary and awful thing, but that King's words and actions have had a lasting impact on our society. The teacher told me none of the other kids had had a problem hearing about the assassination, and this was Sasha's issue. I'm not sure how she figured Sasha was the only four-year-old in her class to take the news hard. If I hadn't said anything to her, she wouldn't have even known that Sasha was freaked out. In any case, the teacher told me the class had moved on to other subjects. The MLK unit was over. But Sasha's fear of death was not. Every morning on the way to school, I was assaulted with a new barrage of questions about death. How am I going to die? How are you going to die? When are you going to die? How old will I be when you die? How many ways are there to die? I don't know, I'd say. It's really impossible to know. Let's count, she'd say. Getting shot, old age, being hit by a truck, drowning. As Sasha's fear of death deepened, so did my fear of getting in the car with her. Some people wake up to their morning coffee. I'd wake up to my morning imagining of my own death. Eventually, the intensity of Sasha's death probe did diminish. My guess is it had a lot to do with entering kindergarten and riding the bus. Surrounded by other children each morning on the way to school, she had plenty of things to focus on other than her own mother's demise. Still, though, her death questions will hit me when I'm least expecting them. I'll be snuggling with her on the couch, stroking her head, and she'll ask me sweetly, how do they get your body in the ground? Then she'll want to know how they turn your body to coal, cremation, and what can you do if you don't want to become coal? Death is scary. Maybe the scariest thing of all. I just wish I was better equipped to help her little inquisitive mind worry about it less. Especially when it's something that freaks me out, too. Sasha herself figured out the win that helps calm her down about death, at least in the short term. At bedtime, she'll get dressed in her skeleton PJs, black fabric with bones that glow in the dark. Then she'll slip on all ten of her glow-in-the-dark monster fingers and her glow-in-the-dark vampire teeth. Next, she'll stand under the bulb in her closet. Once she thinks her glow stuff is glowy enough, she'll shut off the lights. That's when she's ready to kill me. 
She'll come after me, bones, teeth, fingers aglow, shout whispering, I'm going to get you, mommy. I'm going to put you in jail for ten hundred days. I play the damsel in distress. What? Ten hundred days? I can't survive ten hundred days? Then you'll die, she says creepily in my ear. Cue me, doing my best over-the-top horror movie-style death scene. We might do this three times in one sitting. It'd be more if it were up to her. But that's about as much dying as I can manage in a night. So Sasha came up with her own win. She did. I mean, I think that's the cool thing is, like, sometimes we become so desperate that we actually have, like, a stroke of genius. Like, we have no other option other than to be creative and come up with a crazy win (laughs) to help our kids. But also sometimes, like, our kids maybe feel desperate enough that they get creative (laughs) and they know what they need to do. What's this ritual like for you? What's it like to have your daughter whisper, then you'll die (laughs) in your ear? (laughs) It's this mix of, like, totally horrifying, but also, like, oh, my God, I'm raising a genius. (laughs) Because I also recognize that, like, as we were doing it, it occurred to me that she was helping herself to fight her fear, right, by owning it and by becoming it, by becoming death itself, you know, she she was conquering her fear on her own. And maybe that's where my win comes in is, like, allowing her to kill me over and over again, right? Because I think there's another part of me that could just be like, I am tired of, like, this death talk, and it's rude to kill your mom once, like, let alone over and over again. And I could just shut the whole thing down and be like, stop it. That's not nice. We don't pretend to kill people. Instead, you can see it's a way that she's come up with to almost soothe herself. Mm -hmm. And it's soothing for you because the conversation's hopefully different in the morning. Yeah. So after that, I can say um, she hasn't totally stopped talking about death, but the the probing and the, the constant talk did stop. You just had to die first. (laughs) Many, many times, yes. (laughs) So we all need these wins, and you started collecting them from people all over the world. How did that work? Right, so this started as a blog post on our website because I was realizing a couple years into being a mom that experty type books weren't working for me. They were making me feel like if I didn't do it the way the expert was saying that I was a failure. And that's not very helpful. <laughs> and and I realized, though, that the things that were working uh, to get my kid to calm down, to get her to eat, were not things I read in books. They were things that uh, friends had told me and that listeners had told me. And so I did this blog post where I was like, hey, um, what have you guys tried that has worked for you that you haven't read in a book? And we got so many responses, and they were things like, you know, my husband pig snorts in the baby's ear to get her to calm down, <laughs> you know? Helpful. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> also entertaining. <laughs> yeah. And like, um, we wave an electric toothbrush like a conductor in the middle of the night <laughs> to get my baby to calm down. Uh, it was a lot of stuff about babies back then, but Then I just started asking the audience different times, like, tell us what's working for you. And it was so delightful to hear, like, all, like, the weird stuff people do. And it was coming in not just about babies, but about older kids and all the way through teenagers. 
there's even a type of advice in this book that's teens who have come up with wins to improve the way their parents are parenting them. There are even younger kids what? who who have pulled one over on their parents. Yeah. Can I get one of these? Um, like what? Yeah. So there was a kid who who told his mom that he wanted a certain game. He wanted like a dinosaur game. So the mom went online and, and like, you know, Googled like dinosaur game. And she was like, is it this one? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, it's that one. And when she actually, she found out from the teacher what the game actually was, it was something that was far less expensive and complicated. <laughs> like the kid had gamed her. <laughs> <laughs> He'd seen the one over the shoulder and said, I'd like that one. Yeah, yeah, that one. It's that one. <laughs> So you just wrote a parenting advice book, but you don't give parenting advice. Right. I mean, I'm just I'm just a person, right? Like, I'm not an expert. I have no business telling anyone how to be a parent. But I think collectively, all of these anecdotes in here that, that are, like, examples of how parents have gotten their kids to do what they need them to do, like, that's a pretty good foundation for a starting place. Well, in a bit, we're going to put your theory to the test— uh, Jackie and I have been collecting some actual real-life parenting questions from past guests on this show, from our colleagues around the office, from our listeners, and we're gonna we're gonna see if your book can do the trick. Nice. And our first caller with a parenting problem, her voice might sound familiar. Hello, <laughs> is this Hillary? Oh, I have so much news. Hillary, <laughs> we caught up. Stay with us. Say advertisement. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Hillary Frank. Hey, Andrea. Uh, we have a familiar voice on the line. Welcome to the show. Hi, this is Anna. Anna. Wait a minute. Hi. Wait, is this, this is Anna Sale? From, yes. Hi, Hillary. From Death, Sex, and Money? Yes. Hi, Anna. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Anna, we haven't heard from you since episode 93. When you were becoming I, a mom, when I was becoming a mom, you did a you did a before and after, before, and uh-huh. then um, I did the follow up with Hillary with a. I think I was nursing for part of the follow up. Yes, very intimate. Yeah, I remember that. I, I I understand you have news. My news now is I am I'm very pregnant. I have a child coming any day now. Well, congratulations! Thank you very much. The thing with the second kid is. Um, Everyone tells you how much more work it is. That's the first thing they always tell you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're I, <laughs> your second kid. They're like, oh. So I'm right now. I'm trying to focus on the joy and the blessing of it. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember when I was considering whether or not to have another, and people would say, "It's not twice the amount of work. It's ten times the amount of work." Oh yeah. Another line I've heard is like, "One kid is a hobby. Two kids is a job." Ooh, like, wow. Oh, that's kind of... I just have a hobby, I feel I like guess. my first kid is a hobby. <laughs> I know. I'm like, there's so much wrong with that. So, yeah. and how old is your first child now? She is just over two. She's, she's going to be two and a half when the baby's here. Wow. So what's going on? Do you, do, you have a, do you have a question? Do you need some advice? I've been thinking a lot about parenting and parenting two kids versus one kid uh, because I feel like there's... There's two sets of advice you get. You get the advice about how to make parenting easy, which is like 
make your first child a helper if you can. Um, and then there's the other set of advice that's all about like trying to manage the relationship that the siblings forge together. Um, mm. And I, I kind of feel like those are intention a little bit. I have four sisters, so I'm really aware of all the complicated dynamics that come up with siblings. So I've just been thinking a lot about like if there's something I can do to help uh, my daughter and her new baby sister like start off on the right foot. Well, Anna, it sounds like we need to turn to the chapter on sibling rivalry. Okay. Okay, so Anna, you can't see this, but Hillary is very excitedly flipping through her book right now. Looks like she's going to turn to chapter five. This one is the art of keeping your kids from strangling each other. So I have some advice for you about when you bring the baby home to uh-huh. make your daughter interested in the baby. So, so this advice comes from Mary Beth from Washington, D.C. And she says that when she brought her baby home in the carrier, um, her son was referring to the baby as no-no. And oh. <laughs> what she did was she took the baby in the carrier and hid the baby in a closet. <laughs> and, yep, and she made it her two-and-a-half-year-old's job to find the baby. And the kid heard, like, cooing coming from the closet and opened the door, saw his brother, and was like, I found the baby! And and from then on, it was pure love. I feel like that absolutely is an all-caps weird parenting win, Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of genius. It's genius because it's like, you know, an infant can't really hurt themselves too badly being in a closet for a few minutes. <laughs> and, and like, there's nothing my daughter loves more than things that she found herself when she <laughs> put on a task of, of discovering something. Are you going to take Hillary's advice? Am I going to put be honest. in the closet? <laughs> um I think I'm going to keep it in my back pocket. And first, I'm going to see if if my daughter calls her sister no no. <laughs> there is also a win in the book <laughs> when the older kids won't clean up. Uh, the mom makes the baby the boss. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that's the, and good. The, and the, and like the older kids are not allowed to like have their privileges until they've listened to the boss baby. <laughs> so it's not only getting in trouble; it's being humiliated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having your status completely undermined in the household. That's good. And I imagine younger sibling is totally into that as well. Um, that's a good one. Good luck with everything. Bye. <laughs> so now I want to hit you with a question from one of our listeners. This one came in from Molly, who's in Akron, Ohio. I'm the mother of a 22-month-old. He is very toddler right now, and we are experiencing kind of two simultaneous challenges with him. Um, The first is total bath aversion. This is the kid who we couldn't get out of the bath a month ago, and suddenly he's screaming, crying, straight-legging, clinging, will not get in the bath whatsoever. Um, We've tried taking him in the shower with us, but that has also not proven to be an effective bathing solution. So we're going to pause it right there while we uh, look up that first question. Okay, so bath bathing. All right. So listeners at home, Hillary is now turning to chapter three, the art of getting your kid to act like a person. Okay. This comes from Dixie in Chicago, Illinois. So her daughter 
hates baths, or she did, until they invented techno bath. What? <laughs> yeah, techno bath. You just buy some glow stick bracelets in bulk, crack a couple of them, <laughs> turn off the bathroom lights and play music. <laughs> and then you can turn on whatever music you want or, or let your kid request the music. I had no idea this was missing for my self-care routine. <laughs> Techno bath. Because <laughs> the glow sticks are waterproof and you could see them in there and it makes the bath fun and colorful. Exactly. Okay, well then I think you're also going to be able to help Molly with the second half of her question. The second challenge we have is just expanding his palate and getting him to try, at least try um, foods beyond mac and cheese, fruit, yogurt, applesauce, and assorted crackers. We've tried, for example, to mix vegetables and protein in with the mac, but he finds it, pulls it out, throws it off his plate. Um, I'm sure there are a parent or two out there who have cracked these codes in some way, shape, or form, and we would love your advice and guidance on how we can too. So this is a really common problem. And there are strategies I could recommend from this book around like getting your kid to expand their palate. A lot of them have to do with like lying about what the food is <laughs> or giving them a different name. Like someone calls chickpeas butt beans. Yum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with this idea of secretly mixing food in into other food. Okay, so Hillary is turning to chapter two. This one is called The Art of Getting Your Kid to Eat Stuff. So this comes from Jillian in Knoxville, Tennessee. And Jillian has this eight-year-old who's a super picky eater. And he also, like Molly's child, has an eagle eye for vegetables and nutritious, like, sneakiness in his food. So what Jillian does is that she will sometimes call for fancy dinner. Fancy dinner? How does that work? For fancy dinner, <laughs> she breaks out the crystal goblets, the china. Oh, that's so fun. The candles. She turns down the lights, and the kid never has any idea that there's spinach mixed into his marinara. Oh, is that why fancy restaurants do that? <laughs> so you won't know. It's even healthier than you think. <laughs> There's all kind of like kale and quinoa on my steak, and I just had no idea. I think they do it for the opposite reason. They've put so much butter in your food. <laughs> they don't want you to see. <laughs> oh, it's true. Okay, Hillary. Well, I have a treat for you. In the hallway waiting to come on the show now is one of our colleagues here at Stitcher, very tall, certain someone who has a parenting problem. You will love this one. Don't go away. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. <laughs> hey, Longest Shortest Time producer Jackie here. Are you subscribed to our newsletter? We're sending all of our newsletter subscribers a PDF of Chapter 1 of Hillary's book, Weird Parenting Wins. It'll come right to your inbox. So subscribe. All you have to do is click the link in our show notes. We're back, and I'm here with our show's creator and executive producer, Hillary Frank. She's solving people's parenting problems today with her new book, Weird Parenting Wins. And up next, we actually have a parenting question from one of our Stitcher colleagues. It's producer and engineer, John Delore. Hi, Hillary. So you have a son. 
I do, Levi, a.k.a. Mr. Boogers, <laughs> who is uh, two years and two months. Uh-huh. And so our issue with him is that he's a little resistant to toilet training. And I understand that to set up your problem that you're having with him, you got us some tape? Yeah, I did. I'm an audio producer, so I did a, I did a little interview with Levi. All right, let's hear it. We're going to change your diaper real quick. Say hi. Hi. What's your name? Levi. What are you eating? Banana. <laughs> Do you have pee-pees or poo-poos? Poo-poos. Poo-poos. Peas. Where does Maymay and Papa go poo-poo and pee-pee? On the toilet. On the toilet. Does Levi go on the toilet? No. Are you going to go on the toilet? No. Never? Okay, so so he thinks he will never use the potty? He thinks that he can just do diapers forever. And it's getting to the point where, you know, it's time. So this past weekend uh, was my birthday party. We had a bunch of friends over and we let Levi run around with his pants off because we, you know, we were so busy. We didn't change his diaper all, for several hours. So he had a little bit of a rash. So we were just letting him, letting him get some air on the butt. And um, my sister was at the party and noticed he was making a face. And I, being the good aunt that I am, asked if he needed something and he asked for a diaper. But it was a little too late as there was poop on the ground already, which I proceeded to step in and walk around in and have to clean up afterwards. I think that is a good sign that it is time to potty train Levi. <laughs> oh, no. So we're we're trying to figure out how to get him interested in in the toilet training. So we're looking for any suggestions. We're super busy people. Both of us are working a lot. So we don't actually have like the long, you know, people say take a weekend and ha- let him run around with the pants off and like get him to the toilet. We like, we don't have whole weekends to do. So we're looking for fun ideas to try and, I don't know, get him interested in toilet training. Do you have anything? I think I have an answer for you, John. Please. Yeah. So let me turn to the pee and poo section. Hmm. Of this book, it's in the the art of getting your kid to act like a person chapter. Uh-huh. This win comes from Caroline in Falls Church, Virginia, and she had a son who, like Levi, did not want to be potty trained, and so she told him he might be interested in making goblin pee. Hmm. And he was into it. So what she did was she added one drop of blue food coloring to his potty and then told him to pee on it. And she said, if you pee on it, it'll turn green, which will make it goblin pee. Wow. I'm going to do this. <laughs> um, that's great. So what, what if what if he's not into goblins? What if he doesn't know what goblins are? Oh. What if he likes trains? Like, See, how this can is I... the thing. I think that this is, this is a really, you, you, could, you could use whatever you want that, right. that makes it green. Right. You could say he knows what, dino- green, he knows what dinosaurs lo- are. Yeah, it's dinosaur pee. Dinosaur pee. Okay. So you put one drop of blue food coloring in the bowl so that when the pee hits it, it turns green. Yes. Amazing. I ha- I have one also that I put in the book for this topic. I recommend getting an older kid to come in while Levi is is running around w- without bottoms on. Um, and if he pees on the floor, peer pressure 
can really come to the rescue. Wow. So, yeah. So I was like on vacation with uh, my brother and his family. And he has a little girl who's three years younger than my daughter. And they decided to to do the like diaper-free training where she would just run around. And my daughter saw her peeing on the hardwood floor. <laughs> and she goes, Hannah, why are you peeing on the floor? And Hannah was potty trained ever since. Really? Mm-hmm. So I just have to get a neighbor kid to come over yeah. and shame my child. <laughs> exactly. This is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, I'm going to try both. And then I'll report back. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We have one more problem for you, Hillary. I now present another familiar voice. Hi. Uh, it's Latif. Latif. Yeah. Latif, listeners might remember you from an episode where you and Hillary made placenta pills in her kitchen. It was part of our Childless Man series. And back then, you were a reporter for Radiolab. Now you're actually the director of research for Radiolab. And in the intervening years, you've also become a dad. I am a dad. I have a little guy. He's a year and a half. His name is Fival. We named him after the cartoon mouse. Oh. He's really, really great. Did you see your wife's placenta? So I had all these ideas and plans and I was going to like, and then, and then it just like nothing. It was just all so fast and so chaotic. And like, I, I just didn't even know what was happening. It was like the, I, I don't think I did see the placenta. I don't even remember. It was like such a blur, the whole thing. God. (laughs) You remember somebody else's placenta more than you remember your wife's placenta. I do. And we don't even know whose placenta that was, right? That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the last time I I interacted with your show is like I was a totally different person. Well, can you sum up how you feel like you're a different person now? It's the Donald Rumsfeld thing where there were so many things I didn't know that I didn't know. And now I just know that I don't know, you know, I feel like that's how I'm a different person. There's a whole like quadrant of my life, which is like being in charge of a human being and like watching someone develop from scratch. And I'm like watching this guy start to gain agency and start to become a person. It's really thrilling, but it's super mysterious. So do you have a question, uh, something you need advice with? So one thing I do with my guy, with my kid, is that we go for walks and the place we walk is our local grocery store. And so we just go and get the free samples and then we come back. That's like our routine. We do that like every single day. And one time we went in and then they offered him a balloon. So now every time we go there, they give him a balloon, uh, which is great. And he loves it. And it's amazing. He calls it a bubble. But what he tries to do every time, he like loves this bubble and he tries to bite it. And it's like, I just have to take it away from him every time. And I'm like, does he have to bite it to realize that it's going to pop in his face and that's going to be a horrible trauma for him, a thing exploding in his face? Uh, Or is there a way for me to tell him not to bite a balloon without him actually having to do it? Wow. Is that in your book, Hillary? <laughs> so something that often works, and we got uh, got a lot of wins along these lines, is uh, basically a form of distraction. <laughs> yes. You know? And yeah. uh, one of my favorites is um, from a woman named Alejandra from Davison, Michigan. And... Mm-hmm. She says that when her kid is freaking out or just having trouble understanding things, she did this. This this kind of came out of the blue one day. She doesn't know what drove her to do this, but she mm. grabbed his shirt, pulled it right over his head, 
and it turned into like a total giggle fit. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> I, I, I've done a similar sort of thing with him. Like I, I do that, but not in that scenario. Like we, we do that thing where I pull the shirt over his head and he laughs. He thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Cause it's like, he's wearing a hat, but not really, but doing it in the balloon scenario may work. Another version of this is like mm-hmm. to have your kid, um, tell them to blow you away. Ooh, and then you start, is, you can make, is, then you can make a big scene out of like falling backwards. Oh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Explain that again. How do you, what do you mean? Blow me away. Like, blow so, me oh, away, like, like literally take a deep breath. Like say like <laughs> five all try to blow me down. <laughs> That's really fun. I'm going to just do that in general. Cause that is so great. This might be your best tactic right now where like words maybe don't mean as much to him. (laughs) No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. Like some form of Um, distraction. Ooh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. And I've, I've had this sense like, well, really since the beginning, like, like magicians are probably amazing parents because they like distraction is like their whole thing or like pickpockets. Like distraction is their whole thing. They're probably great parents. (laughs) You know? So to review, if you don't want your kids to eat balloons, try blowing them away or putting their shirts over their heads. Uh, If you're trying to potty train your toddler, maybe get out the food coloring. And you can trick your kids in eating vegetables just by turning off the lights and making dinner fancy dinner. You can make bath time into a rave, just add glow sticks. You can hide your newborn in the closet, let your older kid find them, and then they'll be best friends for life. Finally, if your kid is afraid of death, just Dress them up as a glow-in-the-dark skeleton monster and let them kill you. (laughs) See, Andrea, now you're thinking like a weird parenting win maven. So many of these uh, weird parenting wins are about fooling kids into making them think that they have agency that they definitely do not have. Yes. And part of the fight is because they don't have it. Yeah, for sure. So in writing your own parenting wins, all you have to do is come up with a way to make the kid think that the thing that you want them to do is actually their idea. That's right. This is how my parents' marriage worked. (laughs) Special thanks today to Mary Beth in Washington, D.C., Jillian in Knoxville, Dixie in Chicago, Caroline in Falls Church, and Alejandra from Davidson for the wins that helped our guests today. And if you guys want to share your own weird parenting wins, here's an idea. Go tell Hillary yourself. She's actually on book tour right now. Just go to longestshortesttime.com slash books to find out where she's headed. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. We were edited by Amy Drostowska. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hillary Frank. Our engineer is Pete Karam, and our technical director is John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, what it's like to be on tour with the band, if that band is your family. We used to start banging the drum in the car and saying, Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your surprising stories. This week, we're looking to hear stories about how your culture affected your experience with childbirth. Surprise and delight us. We love your emails. Just go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, 
and submit your story.